Let's make our confession over the word this morning. Hallelujah. Get your Bible phone, however you got it. This is my Bible. And I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I do what it tells me to do. I am about to be taught the life-changing word of faith. And my heart is active and ready to receive. So I prophesy to myself, self, you will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. We get started. Just do one more thing. Find you a neighbor and turn to him and tell him, say, I'm blessed by God Almighty. And you are too. So you might as well take it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. We're going to do a little work in here today. Amen. And I love how everybody set it up so beautifully. That's what, I mean, I really, you know, people may not um, believe this, but Pastor Edwin and I, we don't talk about the messages before. You know, largely because years ago, years, years, years ago, I stole his message. And so since then, he never told me nothing he was going to talk about. I mean, it was so long ago that he should be over it by now, but he's not. So he guards his message like um, like they um, nuclear codes, okay? So I'll never know what he's talking about. He hold them close to the heart. He take his messages and, and, and uh, handcuff them to his wrist before he leave for church. He's like, you don't get to know what I'm talking about. But tell you that we praise God for the Holy Spirit. Because he don't have to tell me because the Lord will tell me what he's talking about. <laughs> and I said to him, he was saying how Chandra had used his scripture. And then I was saying how you both use my scripture. And I appreciate it because it means that I can run a little faster. And if you're like, well, I don't know what happened. Well, church started at 10 o'clock. Be here. That's what time it starts. <laughs> if you don't know what happened, be here. <laughs> Amen. So here's what I'm going to be talking to you about today, and I'm going to tell you, you know, I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing this thing called this think and feeling cycle. Come on, somebody tell me what the think and feeling cycle is. Tell me. So you think a thought, the thought releases a chemical, the chemical releases a feeling, the feeling releases another thought, which releases another chemical, which releases another feeling. It just is a circle. It's just a circle. It begins to build neurons in your brain, pathways, neuron pathways in your brain. And then what happens is, is that it becomes, it becomes very quick and easy for you to get to a certain emotion because you have practiced getting to that emotion. Right? And then we talked about how when you do the thinking, feeling cycle, that's inside. Say inside. People can't always tell you think and feeling cycle in the beginning. But if you think and feel it long enough, it's going to show up on the outside. And so the think and feeling cycle on the outside, it becomes a state of being. That state of being becomes your personality. That personality begins to create your personal reality. And so then what happens is, is that what's happening on you on the inside begins to happen to you on the outside. So if you think everybody's against you on the outside, on the inside, you begin to attract all these encounters where it looks like everybody is out against you on the outside. Why? Because it's what you think, it's the chemical that you release, it's the feeling that you feel, and then you begin to draw it and attract it to yourself. Now, one of the interesting things is that one of the ways we've really been challenged is to decide if what's happening to you is really happening to you because it's God's will, it's happening to you because the devil is against you, or is it happening to you because whether you know it or not, you are thinking thoughts that create certain outcomes. Now, it's really interesting because whenever we talk about like relationships, everybody's pretty clear that like if you keep dating a bum 
Everybody like, girl, look at yourself. Like, you got to be the common denominator. If guys keep dating a girl who takes advantage of them, it's like, you have to be the common denominator, right? And so people will, that's easy. Your picker is broke, that kind of language, right? Except when we start thinking about, like, um, sickness and money, we, like, don't want to say that I'm sick because I'm sick in my mind. So we don't want to admit that, I can create a headache because of how I stress. We don't want to admit that I can create arthritis in my body because I don't get healed in my heart. And so we're like, oh, that's not fair because what about the people that don't know? Well, so here's how spiritual laws work regardless of whether you think they're fair or not. Spiritual laws work whether you know they work or not. If a baby, we've all seen a baby fall. If a baby gets on top of this chair and doesn't pay attention, they're going to fall because gravity works for everybody, whether they know it or not. So there are spiritual laws about how we think that what it invites into our life, whether we realize it or not. Now, hear me. I am not trying to suggest that every single thing that happens to us in life is something that we have invited into our lives. I don't know that well enough to be able to say that. Here's what I'll say. The things that you see repetitively have something to do with your thinking. If you get fired from every job, it ain't the job, it's you. If every relationship go bad, if all your best friends can't stand you now, if you always spend all the money, if you always are victimized, somebody's always taking advantage of you. People come, they leave my life. You have to go. If it's true as the man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What am I attracting to myself that says, come here, I'm a good place to have this experience? I'm a, I'm a good place to have this experience. I'm a good, did you hear that? Because I got such a negative thinking about, cycle about my worth, I'm a good place to have a bad experience. I'll let you take advantage of me. I'll talk a good game about how ain't nobody going to take advantage of me and how I'm a strong woman and how ain't nobody, I don't play them kind of games. But if you just rub my back a little bit and send me a couple cute emojis in the morning, I will let you get about 500 of my dollars. So I got to ask myself, what am I inviting into my life by my thinking, which is why we begin to say we need to think about our thinking. So when we begin to talk about things like increase and your best year yet, yeah, the best thing any of us can do is to begin to think about our thinking and ask the Holy Spirit, what would keep me from my best year yet? Not the devil, because he defeated and I know a lot of your theological being is that the devil's always on your back. Then he's too high up. He should be under your feet. And I know some of your other theological bent is that God got to always have you going through to keep you humble. Or you could just be humble. Because it's a lot of people who really going through when they still ain't came to Jesus. So God ain't out here killing people and firing you off of your job and having all kind of traumatic stuff happen to you in order to get you to accept him. Because God is bigger than that and God is not a terrorist. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, God is not a terrorist. Not a terrorist. 
Now, I know that messes with some of your theology because some of you actually do think God is a terrorist. And in your life, they actually scared you to get saved. You got saved because you was trying to decide, did you want the wrath of the devil? Or did you want the wrath of God? And so you were like, ooh, 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 okay, I'm sure I don't want to go to hell. Because we grew up, I'm just going to take. we grew up and we used to have these things called, I'm going to tell my age. We used to have heaven and hell parties. And we used to have these heaven and hell parties. <laughs> Chandra know what I'm talking about. And whenever they had a heaven and hell party, they would make hell, they would make the room real hot and it would be dark and it would be, you know, gashing the teeth and all the food would be hot and they'd give you warm water to wash down the hot food, right? Because it was an illustration that you didn't want to go to hell, right? And then in heaven, it would be all light and airy, and it would be like, come over here where the table is spread. But if you don't, and you don't live right, then like God just might give you leprosy in order to teach you a lesson. And, and you may go, well, I don't believe in the leprosy, but think about things when people say things like if someone loses their baby, and they go, God needed an angel. God, that makes God a terrorist. So God gives somebody a baby to snatch the baby back from you as though God couldn't make an angel without taking your baby. So if we're honest, a lot of us, when we don't understand something, what we go is, God did it. The devil did it. Okay, so, beloved, above all things, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Oh, I didn't give you my title today. Today's my title is God, my infinite wealth and abundant support, abundant source and inexhaustible supply. I'm going to say it again. My infinite wealth and abundant source and an inexhaustible supply. Somebody said they'll put it on the website. No, I'm trying because I want you to go, oh my God, that's such a big title. Yes, because he's such a big God. So his wealth is infinite. He's my infinite wealth. He is my abundant source and my inexhaustible supply. He does not run out. Tell your neighbor, say, God never runs out. So somebody don't get healed because God ran out of healing. And somebody don't get financial breakthrough because somebody ran out of money. Now, it may be a lot of things that we don't understand about why manifestation didn't happen, but it did not happen because God is a terrorist. Amen. Amen. So, beloved, above all things, we ready for the scriptures, Caleb. Beloved, above all things, I wish that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. We've been teaching this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Your soul is your what? Mind, will, emotions, intellect, imagination. Right? So, you cannot live above your soul. Tell your neighbor, say, you cannot live above your soul. You cannot live above your soul. In your soul, you have a mind. Your mind has three parts. We've been talking about two of those three parts, your subconscious mind and your conscious mind. People say, why do we talk about this in church? I'm going to tell you the thing that I said when I started teaching this series. I have been in ministry. I have been preaching over 20 years now. In the whole time that I have been preaching, no one has ever called me and said, hey, Pastor Sean, I'm trapped in the lion's den. Can you help me out? No one has ever called me and said, hey, Pastor Sean, I'm caught up in a fiery furnace. Can you send the fire department? But people constantly tell me, I don't have any money, I'm sick in my body, I don't know how to change my mindset, I'm going through, I'm repeating the same cycles in my life. So I think it would be very imperative of us to not just rehearse the Bible stories, but understand what kind of mindset Daniel had to have to be able to look at a lion and say, you're not going to kill me today. 
Look at the man's mind because there was something in the man's mind that kept him alive. So it says, you, he says, I want you to prosper. Say that God wants me to prosper. God wants me to prosper. Say it again. God wants me to Say it again. God wants me to he wants me to prosper and be in health. And what? He says, even as what? My soul prospers. One of the challenges that we have in America is we like to fix fruit and not deal with root. You have high blood pressure, you want to peel. Nobody wants to deal with the fact that, yes, you eat bad, but way more detrimental than the fact that you eat bad is that you never get rid of any of the stress that you have. So we give you a pill so you can get a false positive that you have regulated, but you really didn't regulate. All we did was cover up what was there, and then you think you healed, but you're not healed. You're just walking around blinded to the fact that you're still stressed out. And so what we love to do is fruit. What we love to do, we judge people's lives by their fruit. We see a woman who's promiscuous. We go, she's a hoe. Oh, my God, did you say hoe? Well, that's what y'all say. Uh, that, that's what you say. You go, oh, she's a hoe. Oh, she's a thought. Oh, she's a so-and-so. That's because you're looking at fruit. You may not know that she was molested. You may not know how um, that she was sold as a prostitute by her mother. You don't have any interest in that. What you have interest in is the fact of how she dresses now. Because we are a nation that is proficient at looking at fruit and thinking we know something. And so God is inviting us to say, if you really want to be healthy, and if you really want to be wealthy, forget about the fruit. Let's deal with the root. Because if we deal with the fruit, the Bible says this. The Bible says if the root is good, the fruit got to be. How many of you have ever seen fake fruit? How many, especially if you go to a furniture store, they have some fruit that looks so real. And it, the grapes look so real and they look so beautiful. But how many of you know you can't get no nourishment off those grapes? Some of you have spent your life being fake grapes. You look so pretty. You look so cute. You carry items to cover up how broke you are. You don't, you, you don't just like the new stuff. You need the new stuff. Because the new stuff is where you get your value because you don't have value inside. So you need something on the outside that says, I have value. So you, it, it's... It's why you prefer weave over life insurance. It, it, it's why you um, prefer Nikes over Nike stock. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put you down. Because I know what it's like to perpetrate fraud. Because that's all it is. So because I'm not it inside, I need to create an illusion of being it outside. Pastor Ellen said something the other day. He was so good. He said, here's the problem with putting a bunch of balls in the air. He said, anytime it's more than two, you can't keep them going. So you throw a ball in the air that says, 
I feel good when I really don't. You throw a ball in the air that says I'm balling when I'm really not. You throw a ball in the air that says I live by my giving when you really don't. You throw a ball in the air that says I'm smarter than I really am because I don't let the Holy Spirit tell me anything. And then before you know it, it comes all crashing down and you're like, oh my God, look what the devil did. And you can, if you get pretty good, you can juggle them for so long. But if one falls, and so some of you have felt some frustration because your ball started to fall. <laughs> I didn't mean that like that. Stop. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot where I, this the wrong church for that, my bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you felt this frustration because you've been juggling on the outside what you didn't develop internal capacity to maintain. It's why people like weddings but not counseling. People love engagement photos. Baby, people will spend $1,000 on some engagement photos, post it up, won't spend $100 for one counseling session to tell you that you ain't compatible. People love looking like something and God is inviting you to actually become it so that when you manifest it, it's actually genuine and you're not fronting. Amen. Amen. So God wants us to prosper. And if we're going to prosper, we have to deal with our thinking. And here's the truth. Nobody can do your thinking work for you. Nobody, Nobody can do your thinking work for you. Nobody can do your thinking work for you. We can encourage you. We can say, hey, you're a little off right here. We can say, hey, we think you're better than that. But ultimately, here's what I have found, even in myself. If I don't want to hear what you got to say about my thinking, I just don't pay you no attention no way. I just go, you don't know what you're talking about. I go, that may work for you, but that won't work for me. Because I don't really want to hear what you have to say anyway. So until you wake up so you can be conscious enough so that you can hear the instruction that you're asking God to give you, right? Man, listen, you think about this. Like some of you, maybe not some of you in this room, but some of you, you, you only faithful to God when you're struggling. You can be faithful in church when you ain't got but $2. Get $202. Now you don't miss church for brunch. That's a thinking issue. It's not the money issue. It's the thinking issue. And if you really believe, I want you to hear me, because if you really believe the only way you can be faithful to God is to struggle, you will continually create a struggle situation to cause you to be faithful to God. You could just say, I rock with God no matter what. I just rock with God no matter what. I rock with God when I got a little bit. I rock with God when I got a lot. I rock with God here. I rock with God. I mean, you could become like Dr. Seuss. I rock with him here. I rock with him there. I rock with him everywhere. So, God wants you to prosper. That word prosper means to succeed in material terms and to be financially successful. I believe that we've done the church a grave disservice not to talk about money. I guarantee you, when we get a call during the week, 80% of the calls we get is about money. But no, nobody want to talk about money. And then what you do is you've been deceived and you go, all the church wants is your money. 
So when someone begins to talk about giving, you think that somebody's trying to take something from you. No, who's taking something from you is Walmart, the movies, dealers. Church, I say this all the time, church the only place in the world you can come for free. You go, I go to the park for free. No, you don't. Somebody taxes paid for you to be there. Church is the only place that you can go for free. You ain't never got to get up a dime, and you can get the whole, you can get the previews, you can get the main movie, and you can get any after-rolling credits if they exist just because you come in and you sit down. But because of your thinking, you believe that God is trying to take something from you, so you come and you hear and you shout, and then you don't respond with what he's called you to do, and then you wonder why you don't increase. I promise I'm not fussing today. I promise. I promise. So the Bible says God wants us to prosper. Say God wants me to prosper. Could you, could you say it like you kind of sort of mean it? God wants you to prosper. Now I, I want you to add it. We're going to build on it. Say and there is enough of everything. Say it, say it again. There is enough of everything. Say it again. So if there is enough of everything, why is there so much shortage? I'm so glad you asked. Here we go. If you're in church, three reasons we go talk about. You have been conditioned to believe that lack is holy. Some of the people that you consider to be the best believers were also the brokest. So there is a conditioning that lack is holy. Way here in 2019, when every translation of the Bible that you could ever want is at your fingertips on your phone, people will still say that money is the root of all evil. Any translation you want to expose the myth, you could look at it, but you still say, Money is the root of all evil. You know who said money was the root of all evil? Somebody who didn't have none. I want to tell you who said money was the root of all evil. And most of the people who said money was the root of all evil and didn't have any then turned around and asked somebody who, did, who had some for some money. They asked for that evil because that evil is how that evil is is how you turn them lights on. That evil is how you pay for school lunches. That evil is how you get a house. That evil is how. And so some of you have to deal with the fact that you still have some thinking that money is a necessary evil. And because you view it that way, it cannot flow in your life freely. You can sit on that. Come back to that. So. We've been conditioned that lack is holy. Number two, we've been conditioned that lack is normal. If, if most of the people you know is broke, then what you have to do is create thinking that justifies why everybody's broke. And if everybody's broke, it has to be because the people who are wealthy are somehow keeping you from being wealthy. It has to be external. It's got to be somebody else's fault. You know what? I'm broke because of what my grandmama taught me. I'm broke because I got student loans. I'm broke because I'm a black woman and they don't pay me as much. I'm broke because I'm in the South. I'm broke because my husband don't make enough money. I'm broke because I'm a single mama. I'm broke for all of these things except that I happen to have broke thinking. K 
Case in point, Madam C.J. Walker, who became the first black millionaire when there was absolutely, supposedly no chance that a black person could become a millionaire. But in the midst of it being no chance of a black person becoming a millionaire, Madam C.J. Walker actually became a millionaire. Why? Because even though the consciousness was broke, she wasn't. Then we've been conditioned that there's a shortage of money. We think that someone else getting it means it wasn't any for us. We treat money like a pie. Six pieces. You ain't get your piece like it's no more pie. I remember one day I was mad. Listen, I got five kids, and when my kids was little, you know how your kids take all your stuff, and like as soon as you eat your ice cream, like I used to intentionally get ice cream with nuts because nobody liked nuts, <laughs> including me, okay? But I figured I could eat it by myself. And the kids would still ask for a bite, suck the ice cream, and spit the nuts out, right? Because they just wanted whatever I had. So one day I was really, really aggravated because they ate my stuff. And Edwin said to me, he said, babe, just go to the store and get another one. They make millions of these every single day. They ate this one but it wasn't the last one. Your last dollar wasn't your last dollar. They got millions and billions and trillions of them in circulation. But if you focus on the candy they ate, you can't see that it's more candy. And if you focus on the dollar you think you lost, you can't see the more dollars. Let me parenthetically insert that this is the reason that some of you never see a harvest off of what you sow in church. You do not sow because you believe in exchange. You sow because you are trying to meet an obligation. And when you sow obligation, you reap obligation. Let's just keep going. Let's just, you just keep doing what you want to do with this. You do what you want to do with it. So the big problem is that we have brought into a collective lie. The collective lie that there is lack. Tell your neighbor, say, God is a good God. He knew you would be here. He made enough provision for you. He knew you would be here. I mean, it's not a shock to God that you standing here in June 9th, 2019. He didn't go, oh, I can't believe Strick's still here. I thought he was gone. He knew you would be here. There is enough provision for you. There is, I, I, I'm just trying, I know we're not going real fast because if you could get that there's enough provision for you, a lot of the stuff that you worked up about, you wouldn't be worked up about because you just asked the Lord where the provision was. All right, let's keep going. Proverbs 23 and 7, it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if I think shortage, I'm going to manifest shortage. You go, it can't be that simple. Do you know that for years, I was researching this, that 6,000 years they have been teaching that it's really that simple, and then somebody, because they don't like that it's that simple, come and make it complicated? It's always somebody, because you know, especially like church people, we like deep stuff. Now, we shout about deep stuff, but most of the time you can't do nothing with it because you don't even know half the words that they used. 
But you're like, ooh, that was deep. I felt that in my shondo. Now you felt it. What are you going to do with it exactly? You felt it great. Now what? And so we need to get to the Bible. Jesus said this. He said, this thing that I'm teaching, he said, it's so simple, a kid can get it. It's so simple, a kid can get it. Take your neighbor and say, the gospel is so simple, even kids understand it. So, whatever we think is what we produce. If we believe in lack and insufficiency, we will experience it in our lives. If we look to God as our source, the idea of making the word fit our experiences has always been a challenge for people. It is our natural being to make a situation, particularly the word, fit what we understand. So somebody doesn't get healed, so we come up with a theology that says that God doesn't heal everybody. Somebody doesn't have money, so we come up with a theology that says that God doesn't want you to have any money. And then you use a scripture that you don't even understand because you have never been into any place where they let a camel go through a needle's eye. So you don't even know what a needle's eye is. Or you don't even, you've never seen a camel in real life. And you are talking about how it is harder to be rich than for a camel to enter into a needle's eye. And because all you know is the needles that your grandmama had, now you're trying to figure out how you go get the camel off Sesame Street into the eye of the needle on your grandmama dress and you go see this is how I know nobody should be rich and you saying it and you made it up but it's all wrong and that's what we do when we don't understand when we don't understand we contextually put things to make sense to us but just because we made it make sense doesn't mean it's truth you ever read some of them posts on Facebook that make sense to people you like no critical thinking skills huh zero and then, and then you will read it and you will go, this doesn't make any sense. And by the time I can turn to show it to strict, 15 people like, yeah, you preaching. It doesn't even make any sense. Did you define these words? And the challenge for many of us is that you are trying to define God with your human understanding. So let's look at this scripture right here. Um, what you got next? Do you have Mark 7 and 8 next? Okay, great. So let's look at this because this is Jesus telling us that this is the problem. Um, do you have it in the translation? No, no. Can you switch my translation? I don't know what I told you. Let me see. Hold on. Try um, message. I'm going to read it out of message translation. This is Jesus talking to the disciples and he, to the Pharisees and the people following him. And he's saying to them, let me show you how easy it is for you to create something that makes sense to you, even if it's not what I said, right? So I'm going to read it out of, Amplify, I mean, out of this translation. It says, Jesus replied, reply, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For example, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your mother and father, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vow to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you counsel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition, and this is only one example among many others. 
So he's talking about honoring parents here, but he says, here is your problem. Your problem is, is that you will replace what I said with what you said because what you said makes more sense to you. And then you will begin to pass down what I said, what you said as though I said it. So he says, and when you do that, you make the worship a farce because you're teaching people things that I didn't say. I love that he says this. He says, it's a man-made tradition. Poverty is a man-made tradition. It is a man-made tradition to say there is not enough provision. There is enough provision. You know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that there is treasure in this earth that hadn't even been discovered yet. I submit that much of that treasure sits in you. You're thinking earth. I'm thinking earth. The treasure is sitting on the inside of you because he said in Deuteronomy 8 and 18, I have given you power to get wealth. And even we know we read last week that even when the earth got cursed, man didn't get cursed. So it is beautiful, brilliant, money-making things sitting on the inside of you. But because you have a poverty mentality and you really do believe there's not enough, even when God gives you an idea, you won't let it grow up and be. You the most you'll do is let it barely make you make it a little bit better because you still in your thinking really believe it's not enough and nobody can dismantle that for you but you he says go to Psalms 78 and 22 he had this problem with them when he brought them out of Egypt here's the problem this is God's strategy God Never waits for your mind to catch up to bring you out. He brings you out and he elevates your mind as you go. So he takes the children of Israel who have been in bondage for 400 years. Before they leave, think about this, this doesn't even make sense. Before they leave, they're about to walk through the wilderness. But God has them to go and gather up all of the silver and gold and the wealth that's in Egypt and take it with them. So they leave with money that they don't have a need to spend. They have money. But the Bible says that when they're in the wilderness, it's God who keeps their shoes from getting old. So they got money, but God never asked them to use their money for provision. They've got money, but they have shoes that they're not buying. And they have food that they're not paying for. And the Bible says he's feeding them manna. And instead of them just saying, God, can we have something else? You know, we appreciate manna. We'd like some chicken too. They go, no, I'd rather go back because you know what? At least in Egypt, in e at least in the streets, at least before I came to the Lord, I could give me a sugar daddy to pay some of these bills. Because I want to talk about your Egypt because you don't know what manna is and I don't either. 
So I want to talk about your Egypt because in your Egypt, you ran your hustle. However, you ran your hustle to get whatever it is, whatever you did, however you lied, however you manipulated, however you robbed Peter to pay Paul, you had your Egypt hustle. And then God rescued you out of darkness and brought you into light. And he began to sustain you even when you were in light. And he began to teach you that you didn't need to hustle the way that you used to hustle in order to get provision. But the hustle is so familiar to you. And anytime you don't get anything, you just go, it would be better when I was back out there because back out there I could run them ninjas but you was crying for deliverance over there because the story just better over here because you wasn't really running them because you were still working even though you was getting that happy meal it wasn't really like that it wasn't really like you tell the story you was begging to get out that's what they were doing in Israel. I mean, in Egypt, they were like, come get us. Come get us. We work so hard. We struggling so hard. We struggle so hard. He redeems them. He gives them shoes and jewels and manna. And every time they don't have something they want, instead of asking him, they look back to Egypt. I know all of y'all didn't run dudes or women. But I'm just asking you, when you think you have lack, where you look. What's your default? Some of it is that part, that perpetual part-time job. That's your hustle. Some of your default is, I don't even really need that much anyway. I don't need that much anyway. I'll be okay. So, how many times are you running back to Egypt? Because people love to look at the children of Israel and go, man, if I had what they had, I never would have done that. They had to watch the Holy Spirit by a cloud and by fire. You got him on the inside of you. We almost done. We almost done. So then he says, John 8 and 32. Come on, John 8 and 32. Y'all learning something? Say, there's enough of everything for everybody. There's enough for everything for everybody. First of all, you know how to, you know there's enough for everything for everybody? Because if we all could get everything we want, we wouldn't even want the same things. If we all had our dream house, we don't all pick the same dream house. We don't all pick the same dream car. We don't all pick the same dream vacation. We don't all pick the same dream jobs. Why? Because God intentionally put things in this planet exactly with you in mind. It says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That word know doesn't mean memorize. That word know means to be intimately acquainted with. It's like intercourse. It doesn't say you're changed by the word you memorize. And you are changed by the word you become intimate with. Many of you have been in church, but you're not intimate with the word. And that's the reason when you're not in church and a problem comes, particularly a problem around money, you don't know that God will provide because you're not intimately acquainted with him. The other day, I say this all the time, and then we started teaching this, and then the Lord really explained to me what my problem was. So, you've heard us say this because it's not an exaggeration. Every day of Canaan's life, she asked for something. Every day. There has never been a day that she has had language that she has not asked for something. The other day, Canaan asked me to do something, and I got irritated when she asked me to do it. Because, let me say this, whatever Canaan asks for always involves money. She don't ask for no, Canaan don't be like, can you take me to the park? Canaan be like, um, hey, can, 
can you buy me a new outfit to go to the park, right? That's the kind of stuff Canaan does, you know what I'm saying? Like, can you take me and 27 of my friends to the movies? Could you, matter of fact, could you rent the theater out for me and my friends? Because we're the only people who want to be in the movie theater, right? So, Canaan has a friend, and her friend's parents own a fabric store. So, Canaan was at her friend's house, and they started laying out fabric for, like, custom-made drapes and um, a comforter and a bed skirt and shams and all of this stuff, right? So Kanan texts me and she's like, you know, I was thinking that it would be really cool if I could have my own comforter. And I'm like, you got your own comforter now. Look at it on your bed. You got a comforter? And so she was like, you know, and her, her parents said that we could come up to the furniture, I mean, to the store and we could look at it. And I'm like, how you 12 and want a custom bed set? I ain't never had a custom bed set. The Holy Spirit said, you ain't never asked. So then I was like, well, let me gather myself. Let me pick my face up, right? I couldn't take it in because I was still salty, right? Like, I'm still like, see, because I'm telling you, if you walk this thing out right, God will use your kids to show you your poverty. And this is why what God said to me as we was driving to the fabric store the next day because she don't forget. She like Luke 18 woman. In Luke 18, the woman says that she, they said she came to the man and in the message translation, it said, let me give her what she want. Let's me, let she beat me black and blue. Listen, Canaan got that good patience. She like, you know, mom, I was wondering, you know, my birthday's coming up and listen, maybe you could put birthday and Christmas together, you know, but I was really thinking that, the, I mean, she just doesn't let go. And, and the Lord said to me, he said, Canaan irritates you because you believe she can exhaust your resources. I just sat in it like you sitting looking at me. <laughs> he said, you are irritated because you believe she can exhaust what you can supply. He said, I am never irritated when you ask me for anything. You can never exhaust my supply. He said, and if when she asks you for something, if you ask me for what she asked you for, you couldn't, she couldn't exhaust your supply either. Now, how many of you just off that could repent? All right, Lord, let me change because I see something and I go, here's how much it costs. I don't know how I'm going to afford this. You know what? I'm going to go over here and go into the clearance aisle. You never say, you know what, God, I really would like to have this or God, my kids. And then here's what we do. Because listen, let me tell you, the Lord been using Canaan to wear me out. He says, you're the one who says you want your kids ceiling, I mean floor, to be your ceiling. You said it. And then you get aggravated when your kids ask you for stuff that you didn't know existed at their age. I was like, well, I didn't really want to talk about this today. <laughs> this wasn't really what I had on my mind. See, God will use anything to train your thinking. And to show you, because then where we go, especially those of you who are more logical. I can't imagine how much more difficult this is for you because you're like logical. And like you got to find, you, especially you people who find a 13 cent in your checking account. Because then now what you go is, well, God, wh um, where exactly am I supposed to get it from? Did you, do you see what I have here? Because now you start talking to God like he's slow too. So you're talking to your kids, but like you irritated with your kids, and now you're talking to God like he's slow. And then we come to church and we say, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
but you don't think God got a way to supply a custom comforter. Romans 8 and 32. I can feel, it's, it's so funny because like the people who are more whimsical like me, they like, yes, we about to ball out, right? The people who are like systematical, they like, you still ain't told me how to get the money. You still ain't told me how to get the money. Romans 8 and 32, it says, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he what? Not with him. Also freely give you what? All things. If you don't remember one other scripture from the day, you ought to meditate on that scripture. All things. All right, we almost, we almost done. Now let's go to Matthew 6 and 33 because we got a little exercise today. Seek, the, seek ye first the kingdom of God. In, in the NLT, I think it is, it says, seek God's kingdom above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Listen, when he tells you to seek the kingdom and his righteousness, he is not talking about our checklist of stuff. He says, come into the kingdom through Jesus and you qualify for everything you need. He said, come into the kingdom. How many of you have accepted Jesus for, as your personal savior? He says, you qualify for everything that you need because I am never looking at you to determine if you need it or not. I am looking at Jesus to say that you qualify. He says he treats you just like he treats Jesus. You're like, well, if he treats me just like he treats Jesus, why don't I have provision? Well, do you treat him like Jesus did? Because he treats you just like he treats Jesus. But every time Jesus had a need, Jesus asked the father what he should do. What do you do when you have a need? Okay. So here's the problem. This is really the place that we got to work through. And this is, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, this is going to take a little work. The challenge for us is that we live in the world. And even in the church, everything we think in the church isn't based off the kingdom. So what we are mostly trying to do is mix two systems. Pastor Edwin put up this post the other day, and I thought it was so good. He said, we got to stop telling people that they can be successful because they work hard. Some of the hardest working people you know not successful. Some of the hardest working people that you know, hard work is not the key to success. How many of you know some hard working people? How many of you have been a hard working person, going to work on time, doing what you were supposed to do, and it still wasn't enough? That is a mixture of a system. The kingdom of God never tells you that you profit because you work hard. And you, I heard that. You go, well, well, the Bible says if a man don't work, he ought not eat. Yes. But if you study it out, the Bible says the only work you do in the kingdom is to believe the one who sent you. He says the work that you do is to enter into the rest. He says, so if you don't work to enter into the rest, you'll never eat from the table. You'll always be toiling. And then what the benefits that you do get, it will, you will get because you budget well. Many of you have done amazing things with your finances. Give yourself a hand. You've given yourself a hand. You have multiplied. Come on, give yourself a hand. You have multiplied some money. You have stretched some money. You have made some things work that should not have worked. Anybody that relate to, you've done that. Can I see your hand if you've done that? I would like to tell you that you've left some of your provision on the table. 
You, 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 you've left some of your provision on the table. I, I get it that you're so good with your money and your credit score. It looks so amazing and you check your credit karma and you've got that wonderful FICO score and I know and it's so amazing. The problem is, is that your money and your FICO store cannot afford everything that you want. So I'm inviting you to stop leaving your food on the table. Well, how do I get my food? I ask the one who's feeding. Because for this person, it may be X. And for this person, it may be Y. See, the challenge is, is that God, in the kingdom, it says that God is the source. And in the world, we say money is the source. So the battle, even for those of us who love God, is who we believe is the source. Because we, I mean, we've all done it. Can you admit it? We've all done it. it uh, well, God, it ain't like you can take God to the light office and pay your light bill with God. I mean, we've all said things like that. How many of you can admit that you said things like, I got God, but I need money too, right? And because you don't know that God is money and can become any form of money that you need, then you are limiting yourself to your budget. And God is so pleased. He's so pleased with how well you budgeted. But Pastor Elwin said something so prophetic. When he got up here, he said, God wants to upgrade you. How many of you know that most upgrades you don't pay for? <laughs> somebody ought to catch that. Somebody ought to just, some, I, I just said something. Some, my, but no, no, no. Most upgrades are a perk of relationship. The house you live in now, you budgeted for it. But I say there's an upgrade house that goes beyond your budgets. The car you drive right now, you budgeted for it. But there's an upgrade car. And, 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 and the job you work, it's been based on what you think your experience is. But, but I sense an upgrade job. I, I, I sense something that in the naturally don't look like you qualify for. But because you got relationship with the owner of the car lot. Oh, I, I don't know the owner of the car lot. Oh, I think you do. I think you do. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means that anything that you see that was made in this earth came from something that was not made, which was the word of God. That means that you can ask God what he wants to give you. And then you can release your faith to have. I know, I know, I know. This mess, you go, hey, is this name it, claim it? Well, if you don't believe it, it don't matter if it's name it or claim it anyway because you ain't going to pull nothing else down, so it don't matter what you call it. This is literally my faith becomes something. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not saying. It does not say your money. It does not say your credit score. It does not say your experience. I don't know who this is for, but somebody is about to get a promotion and you're going to leap a couple of steps. No, no, I, I literally saw, as I said it, I saw like, I saw leapfrog. Like, you know, leapfrog when you were a kid and somebody's right there and somebody's right there and you leap over them. Somebody's going to leap about three steps up and go into a place. And people going to be like, how did you get there? And you'll be like, it's a perk of the kingdom. (laughs) 
But I want to tell you that even when you get that promotion, God is never intended for you to live by your salary. Could you turn and tell your neighbor, say, God is never intended for you to live by your salary. Could you tell somebody else, say, you're not limited to your paycheck, baby. Man, I wish I had about 50 people that really was tired of living paycheck to paycheck. That was really tired of your budget telling you every single thing. And I know because whenever we teach about money, somebody get mad. But I'm going to tell you why you need abundance. Because God told us to be a blessing to the rest of the world. How are you going to bless the rest of the world when you broke? How you going to feed them when you hungry? How you going to buy books for their kids when you can't afford your kid books? How you going to buy shoes for them when you can't have shoes? You've got to take your place so we can be a blessing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you got to break up with that mixture of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Money, come on and say this. Say money is just a resource. I want you to begin to train yourself when you see something, when God puts something in your heart, when God talks to you about a house, when God talks to you about a promotion, when God, hear me, when God talks to you about sowing a seed, can you stop telling God what you don't have before he say it? When God give you the number, can you just say, okay, I'll do it. I'm not sure how I'll do it, but I trust you to do it. So if he say to you, if you see yourself, I saw myself giving $5,000 to the scholarship fund. Could you just say, be it unto me according to your word. I ain't got but $5 today, but I'm going to sow this $5 in expectation of the other $4,995 that's coming into my hand for this scholarship fund. All right, y'all getting anything out of this? Stop mixing the kingdom. Do you need money? You do, kinda, sorta, sometimes. But maybe you don't. And the problem is that if you think you need money, you close all the other ways that God will get you anything. That's why last week God said to us, he said, don't ask me to pay off your debt. Say release. Release come a lot of different ways. Release come a lot of different ways. Increase comes a lot of different ways. So I'm going to give you these two stories and then we're going to do this exercise because I believe this. I don't know who's believing for a new house. I don't know who's believing for a house. <laughs> I don't know who's believing for a house. So, so I don't know who's believing for a house. I, I don't know who's believing for a house. But I know... That God is not limited to what's in your hand to get you a house. So I'm going to give you these two testimonies because these two testimonies always stir people's faith. Every time I've ever told these testimonies anywhere teaching, somebody comes back and tells me, we got a house. So somebody should take the testimony and get a house. When we first got our first house, on, two, on December 31st of 1999, we were sitting in Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas at a New Year's Eve service that Bishop Jakes was hosting. It was me, it was Strick, it was Taylor, and I was pregnant with Chase. And Bishop Jakes called for an offering. And he said, on the offering, I want everybody to give a dollar for however old you are. Right? So we added up my age, his age, Taylor's age, we added a dollar for Chase, even though he wasn't born yet. 
He said, on the back of the envelope, I want you to write what you believe God to do in 2000. I said, I believe God that we will have a house in 2000. Let me contextually tell you that because we did not have parents who could afford to pay for us to go to college, we had a lot of credit card debt. And in fact, not only did we have credit card debt, but we also had bad credit and student loans. Like the kind of credit where nobody was gonna give us a stick of gum, it's always the way I tell it. We had tapped out, like you know them credit card, you know them t-shirts and stuff, we had tapped out on our t-shirts, our water bottles, we had a lot of t-shirts, a lot of water bottles and a lot of maxed out credit cards. And so we lived in, because I need you to understand that in the kingdom, you do advance by seed. And it don't matter whether nobody else believes it or not. It's just factual. In the kingdom, you advance by seed. So we had, um, we, we were living in Conway. I was pregnant with Chase, and we had decided we were going to move back up here. And Edwin had got a job, and he became, um, he got hired in Springdale. He became the first African-American assistant principal that they had ever had in Springdale. So we were moving back up here. When we got ready to move back up here, the Lord said to me, he said, I want you to give away. Now, first of all, did I just tell you that we had bad credit? Did I tell you that? And a lot of debt. The only thing we had in our house that was paid for was our furniture. And he said, I wanted you to give away your living room set. That was back then when you bought a living room set, you bought all three of the pizzas with it and the end tables and the coffee table and the matching lamps. He said, so we had a new set. It probably wasn't six months old. It was new, new. And the Lord said, I want you to sew this into this lady. So I called Edwin. I said, he's at work. I said, Edwin, the Lord just told me that we need to sew this furniture for a house. He said, that's what he said. You know him, don't you? You know him, don't you? He said, what? He said, well, all I'm going to tell you is this. No, better than that. He said, all I'm going to tell you is this, is we ain't got no more money for no furniture. So if you sew this furniture, we go sit on the floor. I said, well, I guess we go sit on the floor. I called her up. I said, the Lord told me to give you my furniture. She just started crying. She said that literally she had been praying. She didn't know how she was going to get furniture. It wasn't in their budget, and she was ashamed for people to come to her house because when they sat on the couch, they sunk all the way to the bottom. At this point, I'm convinced now. I'm like, wait a minute. The Lord doesn't have me give furniture to somebody who needs furniture. We're going to get a house. This is, like in Ju- this is like in July, right? So I'm like waiting, like, you know, the magic. I, I think someone's just going to call me one day, and they're going to say, hey, ma'am, house for you. So it's November. Say November. November. It is no. November, the 11th month, and I'm sitting there on my computer, and the Lord said, I thought you was going to get a house this year. And I said, um, you know my credit score still looked the same, right? He said, I thought you were going to get a house this year. And um, he said, give me something to work with. So I said, okay, I'm going to apply. I got on the on, online. I got ready. I was about to apply. He said, don't apply here. Call the bank up the street. So I called the bank up the street. And I say, um, can I have the mortgage department, please? And they transfer, and the lady answers the phone, and I start telling her my story. She says, is this Sean Strickland? I go, oh, no, somebody who knows. Oh, my God. I like, I want to just hang up at this point. I go, yes, it's Sean. Uh, yes. And she said, she said, honey, this is God. She said, this is my last day in this job. And if you can get up here, I guarantee you my mortgage loan, my mortgage lender will get you a loan today. I had let somebody borrow my car, and I had Chase at home with me. So I need a babysitter and a car. 
So I just start calling people, trying to see who at home. This one girl answered the phone, and I'm like, can I use your car? Can you watch my baby? I need to go to the thing. I go up there, guys, and while, while they running my credit, my stomach, because I know, I know. Now, let me add this. I know what my credit looks like. I know what's on it, because I got a copy of it. And one of the things that we had done is that we had co-signed for somebody to get a car and they let the car get repossessed after three months. That was on our credit. She pulled a report. She said, why don't you think you can get a house? Okay, let me be quiet. Let me let me let me be quiet, cause I cause I don't uh, ain't no point in me telling her about stuff. <laughs> like it's like wait, ain't no point in me. Let me shut up. No, what do you know that I don't know? She said, um, your credit doesn't look bad at all. She said, matter of fact, you got these three things right here. Those three things was less than five hundred dollars. She said, you got these three things right here. You need to take care of them. She said, um. I'm pretty sure you can close by Christmas. Yeah. What? I said, you got to put that in right. My husband is never going to believe it. He is never going to believe. I called Edwin at work. I said, babe, guess what? I said, we got approved for a house. He said, girl, you lying. Ain't nobody approved us for no house. He said, girl, you lying. Babe, for real. I, we didn't have pitch phones, so I had to drive up there and show him the piece of paper. Here's what's happening. God isn't obligated to tell you every person he's going to use to get you what you need, but you are obligated to take the step that you can take. You got to give him something to work with. So we, there was a particular neighborhood we wanted to live in. We had always wanted to live in that neighborhood. We was driving in the neighborhood. It wasn't any houses in the neighborhood. This is what they started telling me. They said, you got to pick a house by this Monday in order for us to be able to close. It's a Saturday morning. We got our little ranking. We've been in so many houses. And I say to Edwin, he said, we got to pick one of these three houses. Because listen, whenever we're dealing with money, Edwin is probably likely to be the one that's a little crabby. He's just like, we got to pick one of these. I said, babe, babe. Let's just ride through the neighborhood one more time. He, that's what he said. You should give him a mic so he can show you how he was acting. Uh, this gonna be, he said, this going to be the last time we ride through because we got to get in. Babe, let's just ride through one more time. Tell your neighbor, say, just go one more time. We just happened to go through the neighborhood that we wanted to live in at the exact moment that a teacher from his new school was standing in her yard. She waved us down. We were, she was like, what are y'all doing? We like, we out looking for a house. And she says, well, come in and see if you like my house. So we thinking, well, maybe she gonna sell us her house. We go in and her house is the exact house that we have wanted. And she says, the house next door is brand new and it's just like it and it's never been lived in. And I got the key to let you in. It's a brand new house in a neighborhood with no for sale sign. Guys, it doesn't have a sign in it. And she takes us in the house and that's the house. And she calls the owner. And the owner wants $125 for it. 
But all we qualify for is 122. And he reduced the price to $121,900, threw in a fence and money for blinds. See, if you will go a little bit with God, you'll get to build your own faith. See, at some point, you can't live off my story. You got to go. And if you get a no, you got to be like, let me readjust. Where's my yes? Where's my yes? Where's my yes? This is the truth. If I set my faith for something, you can't tell me no. I don't care nothing about your no. Your no don't mean nothing to me. If God tell me it's a yes out there, I am unbothered by you. I just go, you're not the right one. So we get all this place. We turn the house in. We got the contract. Listen, before the realtor get there, I just say to her, you don't even deserve a commission. You ain't even do nothing. Like, you don't even do nothing. We did this all. Hashed out the whole deal. And when we come back, now it's November. We got to be able to wrap this up, all of this different stuff. And they end up having a problem with the, they think there's a structural problem. And they tell us that we're not going to be able to close by Christmas. But how many of you know I was already full of faith by then? I said, we moving. We going to be in this house by Christmas. Watch and see. Every, all my friends, all everybody who love me, they trying to help me. They just like, don't get your hopes up. Too late, hopes up, in-house. Too late, hopes up, in-house. And the man messed around and told me where the key was and said to me, you can go in at any time you want to. I would go in that house every day. The Bible says, wherever your feet place. I would walk in that house and say, I thank you that this is my house. I thank you that we'll be in this house by Christmas. I'd come out, lock the door, put the key back on the thing. I'd drop my kids off at school. I'd come back, my kid, and drop off and come back and do it again. When I, would I made a practice that before every day, I, we lived off 265. Every day, I would leave 265 and drive all the way to Johnson to drive through the neighborhood like it was mine. That little engineer came out. He said, all we need is a beam. They said, we don't have any more closing appointments. It's too late because the last day that they was going to close was December 22nd because the 24th was going um, to be New Year. I mean, Christmas was actually going to be on that Monday. I think it was Monday or that Tuesday. So the, so the last day they were going to close was that Friday. They said, we don't have any more spots. I said, go back again. They got a spot. At 1.30 p.m. on December the 22nd, 1999, we got the keys to something that we sold for on 2000. 2000, we got the keys to something that we sold for on December 31st, 1999. It didn't take God a year. It took me. It took us time. These things you think God holding back from you? He ain't holding nothing. Not that. When we got ready to get our next house, we had another neighborhood that we wanted. I'm trying to teach you how to cast vision. The Bible says if you'll place your feet somewhere, it'll be given unto you. Huh? We wanted this house in the neighborhood that we live on now. Now, remember I told you our first house was $121,900, and that was the max budget. We had now found a house that was $184,000, which still seemed like more money than I had ever seen in my life. They were building that house. We used to go in that house. All, I went in it every day. I would drive down the cul-de-sac and be like, you going in these folks' house again? I'm just like, yep, yep. Right now today, if I see an open house, if, if I see a house with a sign on I'm going to check the door. 
Because if that's my house, I'm about to walk in and get some dominion over that thing. So we started driving in this neighborhood, driving in this neighborhood, driving in this neighborhood. And then there was another house on the street and it had a for sale by owner sign in it. And I thought it was like the same size as the house that we wanted at the bottom of the cul-de-sac. So I called the lady, said, can I come into the house? She said, yes, you can come into the house. I said, okay. I come into the house, and it's like our house. It's like the house we lived in before, except it's bigger. And then she says, let me show you downstairs. I'm like, down, wait, the house got a downstairs? So what I think is a 2,300-square-foot house is a 4,000-square-foot house. We just barely got a 1,750-square-foot house. How in the heck are we going to get this house? And she starts talking to me, and she says, you know, I like you. Can you go get your family and come here? I go get my, I'm like, hey, come see this house. This is a big old house. We ain't got furniture for all of it. Listen, we go get Chase, Caleb, I mean, Chase and Taylor, Edwin, Caleb. They are kids running through the house. And she says to me, she says, I want you to live in this house. She said, I got a brother who is a mortgage lender, and I will tell him to do whatever it takes, whatever we got to price this house at for this to be your house. We moved from a 1,750-square-foot house to a 4,000-square-foot house with no money down, and we paid less than $300 more than we was paying for where we live. It don't just happen to us. It happened to anybody. What are you believing for? In this room, there are people who, if you've ever gotten a job that you didn't qualify for, that God promoted you, could you stand to your feet so the people can see? If you've ever had some money work out that shouldn't have worked out in your favor, it shouldn't have come into your hands, could you stand to your feet? If you've ever had something given to you even though you didn't qualify for it, could you stand to your feet? Turn around and look. This ain't a new thing. This ain't even a magic thing. This is a choosing to believe God thing. I choose to believe God. I choose to believe God that it's great when I got money, but even if I don't, God got a way to make it work even when I don't have the money that they say I need on the down payment line, that if it is mine, God will raise up somebody to do for me what I cannot do for myself. So I'm going to give you this. Um, we, we don't have time to do the exercise. We're going to do it next week, but I'm going to give you the sheet today. You can get it at the end. But I want you to make these two declarations, okay? How many is in receiving mode? Sit back down because I owe you to tell you this. Everything that we have ever believed God for, we've sown a seed for. Sometimes the seeds were, seemed to be little. Sometimes the seeds were little, but they were all we had. Sometimes the seeds were bigger. Sometimes it was the seed for a dollar for every year that we were. If you are believing God for something, you need to practice the kingdom system. The kingdom system isn't saving. The kingdom system is sowing. You know, I hate, I, I struggle sometimes to talk about money because people go, all the preacher want is your money, but 
if you feel that way, you just, you go feel that way no matter what I say. We've sown vacation money. We've sown TV money. We have sown anything we could get our hands on. And you know what we found out? We have found out that God has always blessed us to live above whatever we gave. We have sown vacation money and then had somebody give us the condo to stay in. We've sown cars. We've sown cars we were still paying a note on. And we have just found that this system of seed time and harvest, it works. So today, don't get your tithes and offering out of some kind of obligation. And if that's all you got, you should keep it until you go through this work and you should do it. But some of you, you're sitting here and you're believing God for something. You need a seed in your hand. I was at um, the conference. We're actually going to give as a part of the, I mean, as a part of the worship today. Could you just bring the baskets and put them up here? I was at a conference today, Pastor, and I didn't even tell you this. When I was in Florida, they were talking about somebody did a whole teaching on the breaking of $1,000. And I was thinking about, don't get nervous. I'm not about to ask you for $1,000. No, calm down. Calm. And I was thinking about this. They were saying that God deals in thousands, and they begin to use all the scriptures of where God does something in a thousand, as a thousand days, as a thousand days, whatever. And the Lord immediately said to me, when you were believing for Jordan, what did I ask you for? I asked you for a God-sized seed. That is why it's important for you to ask God what you should sow. Because $21 can be a breakthrough seed. And you go, I'm going to give $25. He ain't asked you for $25. He asked you for $21. You could be like, I feel like the Lord is telling me to sow $7 right now. Why would I sow $7? Somebody else like he told me to sow $8. Well, 7 is the number of perfection. 8 is the number of new beginnings. You need perfection or you need new beginnings. There, you got to learn how to respond to God yourself. You may be like, well, God told me to sow a dollar. Then bring your dollar. But I am telling you, if you're going to break yourself free out of the financial limitations, there is seed in the ground. Can you buy a miracle? Nope. Can you partner with heaven? All day long. So we're going to make a confession. And as we make this confession... As God, ask God to tell you what to sow. God, what do you want me to sow? You say, well, what if God doesn't tell me anything to sow? Then sow what you normally sow when you sow. But I believe that there's a supernatural release in giving. And I tried to walk through the scripture and find a place where somebody got financial increase and they didn't sow. I couldn't find one. Your seed breaks the back of poverty, your seed. So we're going to make this confession, and then this morning as you feel led to sow, we're going to sow. And let me tell you what we're believing for. Pastor Ellen was talking about miracles. We were talking about best year yet. I believe that God is going to position you in some stuff and some places that the stuff in the places will become your testimony to witness to other people. 
See, people talk all that. Listen, people go, how can God use or whatever? God can use anything he wants to. Let me tell you this. Do you see the other day that God used Old Town Road to unlock a little autistic boy and help him talk? A song. He used a, a man sold a song into the earth. And God used the song to unlock language. He can use a song, a dollar, an apple, the car that you got. Our spiritual father has actually led people to the Lord because they stopped to talk to him about his Rolls Royce. A young black man, how can I get a car like that? He meant like, man, God will give you a car like that. Let me tell you how. Lead people to the Lord. He can use anything, your purse, your hair, your anything. And that's why none of your stuff needs to be fake fruit. It need to be real fruit so you can testify about how the Lord did it. So let's make this confession. Repeat after me. Say, today, I choose to shift my focus and align with truth. I no longer see money as my source and supply. I receive all I need from the all-sufficient God. I recognize that money is simply a resource. God is my source. In the past, I limited my abundance by believing in the power of money, which caused me to surrender my God-given power and authority over wealth. By believing in the possibility of lack, I lived in a state of separation from God as the source of my supply and blocked abundance from flowing freely in my life. When my faith was in money, I limited the unlimited God from flowing freely in my life. Today, I renounce all agreement Belief in and trust in lack and scarcity. And I receive my divine inheritance as a son of God today and forever. I acknowledge and receive God as my supply, my provision, my wealth, my abundance, and my source. I am abundantly supplied in Jesus' name. I have come home.